and said, Quick, three seahs of flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, we come before you and we ask you that that you would speak to us in your word. Lord, we gather here this morning uh, after uh, these erratic couple of weeks of snow and and I'm sure many families are are struggling with, with sickness and we are also in the midst of tax season, and we've got all kinds of, of activities that, that people need to be shuttled back and forth to, and there are medical appointments to, to care for, and, and we've got bills to pay, and all kinds of things going on in our lives, Lord. And we want to make sure that as we come to your word that we just focus for the time that we have Father, to put aside thoughts of of what we will do after worship service is over. To put aside thoughts of what needs to be done at work tomorrow. Or the enormous task list of things that need to be done around the house on a day off from work. And we pray that we would focus on spending some time with you in your word. We pray that we would be careful to hear your voice speaking to us through your word. And Lord, we pray that that as we have sung songs about, about stepping out in faith and songs about how great you are and how we surrender our hearts to you, we pray that those would not just be lyrics that we repeat because they're catchy, but that they would accurately and truly reflect the condition of our hearts. And that as we come to you hungry for bread, we pray that you would feed us and to help us to walk in the way that you call us to. We thank you for Jesus and we pray this in his name. Amen. Um, I'm kind of an early adopter when it comes to electronics. Uh, I like... um, like my iPad, right? You know, I, was, I, was, I bought a Kindle when they were brand new or brandy, not, not brandy new, you know, after they repeal what I call the geek tax, right? When, when something comes out, the brand new iPhone is always like 300 bucks, you know, but in a couple of years, you can get it for free, 
right? Or you can get it for 99 cents when you, when you upgrade your phone. Like, I, I kind of have to hold on because I don't want to pay the geek tax. But, like, the minute I can get in there and, uh, and, and get it, I, I want it. Um, so I've been, I've been listening to books on CD for a number of years. And, and pretty much any free Christian book that's out there, you know, someone says, free book. I'm like, get it right? You know, and I'm just building this vast digital library of stuff that I will probably never, ever read. But, but just in case, I've got it. And there have been a couple times where someone says, you should read this book. And I go on Amazon and it says, you purchased this book for Kindle like two years ago. And I'm like, yes. And, um, but you know what I don't like about electronic books and, 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 and all this digital stuff? There are no margins, Right? Margin is, is so valuable. Margin is that nice white space around the edges of the paper that are just crying out for your pen, right? I prefer red to write stuff and to just say, that is an excellent underline, 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 point, smiley face, right? You know, so that, so that one day I could come back and say, what was that that guy was saying or, or, or that author was saying? And, and look there and see my handwriting. You can't do that. Yeah, you, you guys are, some of you who are like all into ebooks and stuff, you're like, you can, you can highlight with your finger and you can make it any one of six colors. It's not the same. I want to pick the book up and I want to be able to smell it. This is my book right? It's got my handwriting in it. It's got underlines and seven different colors sometimes and all these little, these little notes that I, I just uh, sat back and, and, and recorded for myself in those moments of quiet reflection. That's called margin, right? In the, the digital world, the fast-paced American rat race world, and this didn't start with, with telephones. We have, um, we have been increasingly putting the pedal down more and more. We, we have been racing faster and faster, right? We've got more information to manage. We've got more events that we can attend. We've got more things that every single parent feels the pressure to involve their kid in so their kid can be well-rounded and get into a good college and any number of, of things. And what happens is the, the more and more we do that, the more margin we lose. Just that extra time that we used to spend doing other stuff. When I prepare my sermons, by the way, I'm generally shooting for like three pages of notes because four, you, you enter that, that stage where if you lose one, you lose like a quarter of your sermon, right? So it's just going to be a, a few pages, right? And, and what I do is I widen out the margins. I leave as little white space as possible, but that makes it hard if I ever want to like write a note. As we fill up our times and our schedules with stuff, you know what we lose time to do? Things which are of incredible importance for ourselves. Resting, spending time with the Lord, praying, reading scripture, following up on important things that, that we know that we need to deal with, uh, memorizing scripture. Those things get squeezed out by all the stuff. And so I wanna, what I want to do is to take a look at this story about Abraham and to think about what it means to have a heart that is hospitable. A heart that's hospitable to the things that we all need to do in terms of cultivating our soul and our relationship with 
the Lord. Let's take a look at Abraham's hospitality. So Abraham's got this big tent that he lives in, right? He's a, he's a herdsman. He's got flocks and herds, and he is wealthy. And so he's got men who are out tending to all of his different flocks and herds. And he's there sitting. This is what you do. You don't hang out in a stifling hot tent in the middle of the, the day. He's sitting in the doorway of his tent, right? If, you, if you've seen any movies uh, of, of any uh, kind of desert nomads, you know that they maybe stake some poles and there's a bit of a screen there. There's this nice shady area. Maybe you've parked your tent near some trees. And, and so, so there's this place near the door of your tent where you've got your, your, your ground covering and whatever kind of little chair you're sitting on. So Abraham's just out there in the, the middle of the heat of the day, you know, just relaxing in the, in the sun, and he sees the Lord. The Lord appears to him. Now, the Lord does not appear like he does in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Lord appears to Isaiah while he's praying. He looks up, he sees the Lord like uh, shouting, praising uh, celestial creatures moving around, and there's glory and smoke, and the temple's shaking, and Isaiah shouts out, woe is me, I am done. That's not this kind of vision. The Lord appears to Abraham. He sees the Lord in front of him like a man moving, walking. He sees three men, it says standing in front of them, but we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk standing in front of him, but we'll talk about what, what is actually going on in just a couple seconds. He is standing in front of him, but he's not like, it's not just like the Lord appears, like beam me up or beam me down, three to, three to transport, Captain, right? You know, Spock, Spock, he's gone. Um, Anyway, we didn't want, we didn't want to go there. Uh, it's not that they just appear there. It's that they're there in the distance and he sees them and he's like, I think that's the Lord. Meaning that, that he'd seen him before. He'd seen him in this, in this form and he sees these three men. Now, there are some people who would say, who would say um, that this is, this is the Lord and some angels or something. Ah, I think this is a straight up Trinity illusion. Let's just, let's think about that just for a second, right? There are, there is, there is one God, one being called God, and, and from his ground of being, there are three distinct persons within the Godhead, right? It's not, it's not God wears three different masks. It's, it's that there is a, a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. It's not like God pretends he's the Father for a while, and then he's like, you know, this isn't really working out. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of mean and angry. Let's invent a new personality. I'll be the Son, and I'll, be, I'll, I'll die for humanity. And then, and then when that's all done, I'll send my Spirit, and I'll put that mask on. That's, that's, that's fake. That's heresy, by the way. Um, that's, that's not the way that, that God works. Look at, look at what Matthew 28, 19 says. Christians are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three persons, all equal in dignity and worth. We see this in the Old Testament, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God says, let us. Some people will say, well, that's just the royal we. You know, like Queen Elizabeth II says, we are not amused, speaking of herself uh, in, the, in the plural because she's got, she is the state, right? You know, and so she speaks in plurals. Come on. 
We've got in the very same book three guys walking around. And then later in the Bible, we'll see that God is revealed in, in three persons, though one ground of being. Matthew 3.13, it says that Jesus goes to be baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Right? This is, if, 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 if Jesus is just a a mask which the being called God wears, then, then here he's wearing two masks simultaneously. And then, and then the voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son of whom, with whom I am well pleased. This is weird if it's not that there are three independent persons who are united in one ground of being. Does that make sense? We've got, we've got the Trinity displayed here. Some people object and they say, the word Trinity never appears in the Bible anywhere. Well, Make up another word, and people will think that you're weird discussing this topic, which we've called the Trinity for years and years. We use the word Trinity because it's an accurate description of what we see going on in the Bible. You know, you could make up your own word for gravity, right? But if you want to have any future in physics or physical science, right, you know, you're not going to get very far. Because people are going to be like, just use the word that we all use. God is one being with, with three distinct persons within him. And they, I believe, are right there in front of Abraham. He's like squinting and, and looking out in the distance. And he sees these three men and he's like, I do believe that that is the Lord. This is Abraham, the, the respected man, the, the conquering warrior who's defeated uh, enemy tribes. He's a rich herdsman, and he sees these men, and he says, that is the Lord. And so he runs to them, and it says that he bows down before them. He, he, he prostrates himself on the ground. This is an undignified thing for such a prominent man to do. And he says, if, if I've found favor in your sight, like, please come Come, come to my tent. Come, come hang out under my tent. You're right here. You know, I've seen you before. I'm not exactly sure why you're not coming to me. You're passing me by. Don't do that. If I found favor, come spend some time with me. Here, here's some water for your, for your feet. They wore sandals made out of either rope or leather, and, and that, that would, would crack and uh, wear your feet out, and your feet would get all kinds of dust and dirt. Here, I'll provide you some, some relief there. Take some refreshment. Here's some, here's some bread that we've got. Eat, eat that, and I'll, I'll get you some more. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 9, that we're to show hospitality. We're show, to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hebrews 13, 2, interestingly, I'm not sure if this is what it's talking about or not. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I wonder if this is the idea that, that, that there was this encounter with, with the Lord that, that maybe Abraham wasn't fully aware of, of who this being is. Did he know that, that, that he is the, the infinite God? Did he know that at that, at that time? Or was this, was this dawning in his realization as his faith and awareness of who God is grew? So these three guests come to the tent. They say, yes, let's go, go ahead and do that. We'll come, we'll come to your tent. And so he brings them under there. He gives them, gives them the water and he goes inside, right? This is like if you've ever had surprise guests or somebody's like, hey, are you around? And you're like, sure, we're around. You go and you, you get your, your, your spouse and you say, we've got guests. They're coming. They're going to be here in 15 minutes, right? And that's like when the house gets cleanest. 
You know, you're just like gather every little bit of clutter and stuff and you're like shoving it places. And, you know, um, so, so he, he goes in and he's like, okay, we've got, we've got very, very important guests, Sarah. Um, go get some, some bread, like non-like bread. If you've ever eaten that, it's so good. And, and let's get some, some uh, maybe some samosas and a little uh, hummus. Um, and, and some cucumber and some olives. And then he's like, oh, we've got the fatted calf, right? And he goes out back and he tells the guy, let's, let's kill this thing and get it on the fire. Um, here you go, gentlemen. Here's your water. You know, here's some, here's some bread, maybe a little oil to dip that in. Here you go. Some for you, some for you, some for you. Guys, just sit down. There's more food coming, you know. Hope you, hope you enjoy this. Hope this is, we're, we're working on it, you know. And he's like trying to be a good host. Here you go. Here you go. Sit, sit. And he sits there and he watches and he waits. You know, and you wonder, is he like, do they... Do they think it's good? You know, he's maybe biting his, biting his, his finger, you know, and, and he sees a, a cup getting low and he runs over there and he, he fills it. He wants his, he wants his guests to, to enjoy themselves. He's, he's serving them. He's seeking their approval. I think that, that this is not Abraham being a seeking beggar of God's favors tangible favors. He has, he has a very strong awareness of how blessed he is by God. What he's doing is he's laying an example for all those who will follow him in faith of what it means to be hospitable, what it means to serve and to honor guests. This is interesting because his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, will come one day and say, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. He, he serves. He serves. Matthew 7, 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. Abraham doesn't have the law and the prophets yet, but, but he knows in his heart what is good because God's law is written on our hearts. God's, the, the knowledge of what is good and what is evil is, is inside of us. And the Spirit points out this is wrong and this is right. And so, so Abraham serves here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Galatians 6, 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so Abraham here models service. Now, I'm just going to talk about service later because we're going to talk about that this month in our, in our state of the church on third Sunday. But something interesting happens here. Uh, we, we move from, from Abraham serving these guests of his to uh, what I think is a little bit of situation comedy that maybe we don't, we don't see extremely clearly. Um, they're, they're sitting there and they're eating and you know, Abraham's waiting and he's, he's watching them. And uh, as, as one of them, one of his guests is maybe, you know, scraping a little bit of, of, of au jus from the, the bowl there with his little piece of bread, you know, and he's, he's, he's bringing it up to his mouth. He says, um, hey, where's Sarah? Where, where's your wife, Sarah? And Abraham's standing there, eager to please his guests. He says, oh, she's, she's in the tent. And then he, he says, maybe after he chews just for a little bit, clears his, 
his mouth by, by drinking something. You know, God is, is not rude, so he's not going to talk with his mouth full. Um, he says, I'm going to come back in, 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 in a year when the weather's the same, right? You know, when, when, it's, when it's warm out and you're sitting in your tent in the heat of the day. And when I come back, guess what? Sarah's going to have a baby boy. Now, Sarah, right, knows that there are some prominent guests here and knows that, knows that her, or her husband, you know, is, is visiting with these prominent guests. And so what is she doing? Is she busy about preparation or something? No, she's probably got her ear, like, up against the tent wall. Like, there's this, this less than an inch of material or whatever separating her from where her husband is. She's, she's listening. And when she, when she hears this, she, she laughs. Old Sarah and old Abraham, they are, they are not nearly the people that they were when we met them in Genesis 12 and 13. Uh, Abraham is now 99 years old, and Sarah is getting on in years. She is 89 years old, right? The, the scriptures say that the way of women has ceased with her, which means that, that she, you know, I don't know what her husband's thinking. He's got her in this hot tent in the middle of the hot summer, and she's probably having some hot flashes. Um, she, is, she is menopausal, right? You know, she is, she is over the whole producing babies thing. She should probably be a grandma by now, and, and by our standards in society today, she might be a great-grandma or a great-great-grandma. Um, this thing that she says seems mildly... Frisky? I don't know how you describe what her, her, her statement here is. I, I've, I've searched for an accurate word. She says, I'm worn out and my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? You know, and you're kind of like, hey, now, you know, like, like keep it clean. This is the Bible. This is going to be read in public. Um, by the way, I think it's a very strong evidence for these things being authentic. These writings being authentic is that, is that we, we, we're not cleaning up or adjusting the, the words that were spoken for, for public consumption. This is, this is what they were, what, what, what she was thinking, what was written down, perhaps her own testimony to, to some of her descendants. Is she saying, you know, we closed that shop years ago as she laughs in her heart. I'm, I'm worn out. He's old. This is not just a matter of pulling out some candles and doing some slow dances, right? But <laughs> But in verse 13, if you look there, if you look at verse 13, it says this. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Which means when she says, shall I have pleasure, don't, don't go there, right? I went there first, and so did most of you probably, right? You know, what she says, shall I have pleasure, it's like, am I finally going to have the pleasure of, of having a child? Is that, is that going to happen? Am I, am I actually going to have a kid? And then her internal mental response is, no way. No way. No. And she scoffs. She laughs. <laughs> and the Lord says, why is she laughing? And you can imagine Abraham. Abraham's like, we've had this conversation. Will the Lord make good on his promise. I mean, he promised, and it's been, it's been years. Will the Lord make good? And, and Sarah says, no, no, we need to pursue alternate means of, of getting children. We need to uh, make Eliezer our heir. We need to adopt, or you need to have a child with Hagar, you know. And, 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 and Abraham knows, and now these three men, these guests are looking at him. Why is your wife laughing? 
Why did she say, am I going to have a baby being old? Now listen, you, you guys know I'm, I'm having this complex about being 40, right? You know, I've got a four-year-old in my house. He just turned four, Hank. And uh, I'm like, I got to keep on picking up Legos. You know, like I've done this now. I mean, so my, my oldest is, is 15 years old. It's been, it's been a long haul of constantly, constantly, constantly picking up toys. And I can't imagine what it's like to, to prepare meals for, for four diverse little pallets. And, you know, just like, I, I don't know. She's 89. She's like, baby? <laughs> Not going to happen. But the Lord says, why did she laugh? And then he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Mark my words, Abraham. I am going to blow back in on the summer wind. You're going to be wearing flip-flops and shorts, and I'm going to come back, and Sarah's going to come out of that tent holding a baby. And then from inside the tent, right, you know, if this were a cartoon, you just have the, the solid fabric wall of the tent and then like a word balloon. Sarah says, I didn't laugh. And she's afraid. It's got that, that note of fear in her voice. I, I didn't laugh. I wasn't laughing at you. And the Lord like looks at the wall of the tent and he says, yeah, you did. You did laugh. Wraps his last little bit of non-bread around his bit of veal and pops it into his mouth and brushes off his hands and stands up. Why was Sarah afraid? There, there haven't been any real miracles yet in the story. There are, there are the stories that, that by the time that, that she's 89 would have been ages ago in, in her perspective, like the Civil War is a long time ago for us, although it's really not that long in terms of world history. The, the flood and, and some of those events, those are, those are a long time ago. There have not been any real miracles yet. They were delivered from Pharaoh and, and the problem with Lot competing over the land was solved and the rescue of Lot. I think what she might be afraid of here, though, is fear of losing the promise, the promise of this child. She's scoffing at God internally in her heart, but, but she does feel that, that sharp anxiety over if she questions God and if she doubts him and if she shows it to him in a way that, that he, can, he can see that, that she might lose that promise. And I think there's something interesting about that considering where we live as believers. It's an interesting place we live in as Christians. Uh, many of us live in fear, I believe. I, I, I know this is true of, of folks in the congregation because you guys talk to me, and I, I, I thank you for that trust. We live in fear of, of sinning some big sin and missing out on heaven, right? Isn't that like the, the thing that scares us most is when somebody says, you know, and if you do this, you lose your salvation. You're like, whoa, don't mess with my salvation. Like, now I'm scared. What do I need to, what do I, what do, I need to do to keep that? I want that, I want that to be good. But many of us then also, in a, in a similar, in a separate category rather, we hold the Lord in a kind of contempt as we await the fulfillment of his greatest promises to us and live with the frustration of having these, these behavioral moral restraints on us that keep us from delighting and indulging ourselves in any way we like. And, and so we're just kind of resentful at the fact that we're not enjoying paradise. We're living here on earth with these commandments over us. And so we passively, aggressively resist him by not living out his commandments to the fullest. 
And if you've never been there, if you've never seen these two categories in you, one, I would say, I believe you are blessed or you're being less than honest. Is anything too hard for the Lord, Sarah? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah's response should be, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Lord, if I trust you. But for many believers, not trusting or, or saying, saying, well, I'm not, I'm not completely sure God is good is like a bridge too far. You know, we can't, we can't say that. But, but listen to what the scriptures say about having an honest heart. Psalm 51 verse 17 says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Is God intimidated by our doubts and our fears and our frustrations and our anxieties? No. He says, cast your anxieties on me because I care for you. You know what? If you're like, I doubt that God is good, you know, and I, and I just, I need to make sure that I, that I handle this situation on my own because I'm not sure that God's going to handle it right. God already knows that. The best possible thing that you can do is be honest with him about it and say, say, my my heart is not working right at the moment. Could you please help me with that? Psalm 6.3, my soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? The, 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 the question, how long, is how long until you work? How long until you move? How long until you change? This is a, a, a soul in great frustration and anxiety. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. I'm weary with my moaning and, and wailing. Every night I flood my bed with my tears. You know what? I believe that God liked that sentiment of the heart so much that he put it in the Bible. God can take our emotional inconsistency. What he cannot and will not abide is when believers, professed believers, scoff at his words and his promises. Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Sarah, I believe, is not to be mocked or torn down here, but she is a contrast to Abraham. She's a direct contrast to him. Abraham is, is hospitable and, and welcoming the Lord and seeking his word, and she, when she hears it and receives it, she scoffs at it. Abraham has a hospitable heart. He's quick to receive this visitor. When he sees the visitor coming, he's, he's hasty to make preparations. I wonder how many of us, and I speak of myself when I say this, I know the condition of my heart this morning, how many of us came to worship today saying, I wonder if it will be a good sermon. I wonder if it will be, it, be good. Will there be, will there be jokes? You know, will I be able to walk away and say, that was a good sermon. Or if you took time to take stock of your heart and say, I wonder if the Lord will visit me today and speak to me in his word. Abraham is ready. His preparations are ready. He is, he is ready to receive the Lord. And when he sees the Lord coming, he makes more preparations. James 2.21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I, I'm here listening. Speak to me, Lord. 
This is interesting, okay? Let, let, me, let me make a case for what's going on as, as, as we read these words and we apply them to ourselves properly. After quoting Scripture, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. He quotes Scripture and he, he, he describes the narrative of the Bible and then he says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Who, who is speaking? When a pastor reads scripture, or when a Sunday school teacher, or a youth leader, or the pastor, or your spouse properly applies scripture to you, who is speaking? God is speaking. God is speaking. When we take those moments before the message and we say, we're going to turn and we're going to read to Genesis 18, God is speaking in the clearest, loudest voice that he speaks. This is his word. When he sees the Lord, Abraham runs to be near him. He bows down to him. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Abraham provides refreshment for the Lord. Can we feed God? No. But I do believe that we can provide the soil which allows the word to grow. In Matthew 13, 19, the hard ground in that, that parable is those who, who sit in the presence or hear God's word but don't seek to understand it. The word lands and bounces off and is eaten by birds. When, when uh, the, the second kind of ground, when tribulation or persecution arises, the, the one who, who hears and their heart is rocky. They fall away. The ground that's full of thorns is, is the word heard, but then choked out by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of, of riches. And the word does not accomplish its purpose because the heart refuses stubbornly, arrogantly, rudely to receive the God who created it speaking to it. But the good soil hears with understanding. It listens and it doesn't just hear, it heeds. It doesn't just hear, it responds, right? You're, you're getting ready to leave your house and you, you look at, at the bottom of the, the television screen or you hear on the radio or you've, you've looked on your weather app and it says icy conditions, right? You, you may hear that in some sense, but if you then go drive 75 miles an hour everywhere and then skid on a patch of black ice, you heard, but you did not listen. Does that make sense? You, you heard, but you did not heed. We're to put into practice what we hear. I love, I love this verse. This is like one of my new favorites. I just posted one of my favorite verses on Facebook, probably my favorite verse. But, but then I, I was prepping and I read this. Genesis 18, 3. Abraham goes to the Lord and he bows down before him and he says, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Don't pass me by. Lord, I'm here. I got up. I dressed my kids. I came to church. I'm here. Don't leave without speaking to me in your word. Speak to me. Impress things upon me by the power of your spirit and the word proclaimed to me so that I hear them because you speak to me over and over and over again in the word. And so many times I'm just bored with it. This is, the, this is why I brought up margin in the beginning, right? Many of us are just way too busy. We're too ready to say yes to everything that pops up. We're too 
infrequent to say no to anything. And we fill up our time using what they call boredom-induced distraction addiction devices. Did you hear that? Bedad. Boredom-induced distraction addiction relievers. What's the pastor talking about? I'm going on Facebook, right? That's what we do. There's an article on Desiring God this week that says that what the number one effect of Facebook in our society, you know what they say? It stifles prayer. Because in the moment that we could be turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, my children are at school right now. Would you please protect them? Would you grow them in the way in which they should go? I pray that you would filter from them. No, I'm like, I'm like, selfie, right? You know, and I'm not just taking a target at, at, at electronic media here. Because there are all kinds of things that distract from going to the Lord and attending to him in prayer. Boating, hunting, painting, lawn mowing, sleeping in, partying, reading, do your taxes, reading books, whatever. There are so many things that we just, we cram our life so full of everything that we think we need and we edge out what is most important. The Lord speaking to us. The Lord is speaking to us in his word and we are not busy about preparations for our heart or our soul or our time or our schedule so that we can hear him speak. We need to be careful to set the margins properly so that there is space enough to say, oh Lord, that is good. Thank you for telling me that. Do not pass me by, precious Savior. Come stay a while with me. Speak to me. You tell me you'll never leave me or forsake me, sake me, and I get distracted and full of anxiety. Spend some time with me and speak your promises to me about how you will care for me. Second Peter chapter 1 says this in, in 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he's granted to us his precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Did you hear that? Partakers of the divine nature through his precious and very great promises. As we hear those promises and say yes to them and we believe them and we respond to them in faith and we act upon them, we are increasingly grown into the image of the Lord. We know what that verse sounds like to many of us. It sounds like this. His divine power has granted to us because our Bibles are closed. Because we're like, what's on TV? The garage needs to be cleaned, right? You know, I need, to, I need to read this book so that I can preach a sermon to those people next week. I'm talking about me, right? Because nobody else is scheduled to be preaching here. We, we crowd out God's word with all the, the busy things that we need to do. And so then what we do is we, we, we rush into God's presence and we say, oh, you know, this morning, Lord, I've got to read my Spurgeon devotional or my Oswald Chambers or my Andrew Murray or whatever it is that I'm reading and my four chapters of the Bible so that I can, I can check that off and, and get through it in a year. And now I need patience. Oh, wait, 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 I didn't say patience you'll make me wait. I didn't say patience. I need, I need people just to get out of my way today because I got a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> Bless my wife and my kids and please help me not to get mad at my annoying coworker who eats tuna fish and listens to her music too loud. That's not Alice. <laughs> Alice does not eat tuna, um, nor does she listen to music very loud. Gotta go, Lord. Good spending time with you. Hashtag prayer life. So deep, so great. 
right? No, what we need to do, what we need to do is to slow down. And let me, let me say this. I'm not, don't, 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 don't get under a giant burden of, of oh man, you know, now I got to go and, and run a spiritual 5K tomorrow in devotions. Don't, don't do that, right? You start where you need to start. Start by opening the word and, and reading something and saying, how does this apply to me? And then, and then pray and ask the Lord to encourage and to speak to you through that word. Speak to me in your word, Lord. If I've found favor with you, and praise God, we find favor with the Lord. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as wretched sinners, he makes us righteous, which means we have the favor of God upon us. And so we say to him, do not pass me by. Speak to me in your word. I know that I need to share the gospel with those folks who talked to me yesterday at lacrosse tryouts. I met them yesterday, Lord. I pray that you'd help me to remember their names. I pray that you would give me an opportunity to to be in front of them again, Lord. And I'm going to pray about this every day because I know lacrosse season is coming. And I know that you want me to speak your word. And I don't know if they're saved or not. I don't know if they, they, they they know you. But but I'm also a chicken, and I don't generally share the gospel, so please make me bold. And thank you for showing me that I'm angry and that I've put off repenting of that. It's the only control that I seem to have in life. And I, I, know, it, I know it blows stuff up, but it seems to work, and that's why I do it. Would you please help me, Lord? And thank you for showing me that I'm content to live in my little story and not the story that you're telling in the world. And, and I pray that you'd help me to see your work going on in through the church and throughout the world. Please show me where you want me to be serving and working. Thank you for showing me that, that so often I, I hear Scripture and, I, and I, I look at it as information and not as a word from you. And I, I, I ignore your voice speaking. Thank you for speaking to me. Speak to me more. And spend time with the Lord. Prostrate yourself before him and say, I welcome you to do your work in me. Spend time with me. I wait upon your word. Speak to me. I will not laugh at you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you this morning. And I I pray, I pray that by your grace and for your glory and our joy, that we would set the margins of our lives properly. Father, I pray that that we would give you the time that you deserve as our honored guest. I pray that that, that we would be careful to not just view you as the, the cop who's making sure that we're not spiritually speeding, but to see you as the one who we are going to spend eternity with and the one that therefore we ought to be worshiping and abiding with and enjoying all of these days. We pray, Father, that we would be faithful to attend to you and to honor you in all that we do, Lord, because you showed great honor to us by sending your Son to pay for our debts when we did not deserve it. Your grace is an astounding, amazing act of service that none of us deserve. We thank you for gracing us with salvation life. We pray that we would respond out of gratitude and slow down and hear what you're saying to us. 
And Father, then I pray that, that we would have hearts of faith that respond with honor and that we would not laugh at you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.